There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, if you do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast, episode two. Thank you so much for checking us out. I am your host, Anthony Merchant. And you know, our episode one was just a quick little intro to introduce myself, let you know what the podcast is all about. But tonight we are going to get into it. Uh, you know, I mean, the whole point of the podcast to talk about music, and that is exactly what we're going to do tonight. And since we are in a new year, it's time to reflect on the best music of last year. I'm going to be telling you about my top 10 favorite records of 2019. That's what this episode is all about. And uh, I am going to sneak in a little bit of an interview later on while I'm talking about my favorite albums because I just so happened that uh, I got to interview a, a member of a band who put out one of my favorite albums of the year. So I'll give that to you a little later on. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm very excited. Um, you know, the Power Chord Hour has been a radio show for four years now. And I mean, obviously, I talk every week. You know, I, I feel like people probably know me enough from the radio show. But I don't get to talk, you know, ad nauseum like this where I can just go on, you know, for 10, 15 minutes about one record. You know, you got to kind of move on and kind of, you know, be kind of self-disciplined in that way, um, you know, with doing the radio show so I can play the music. Like a few weeks ago, we did our, uh, you know, best releases of 2019 on the radio show. And on there, I played tons of music off my favorite, on my top 10 favorite records and some honorable mentions, some songs off of some of my other favorite albums that weren't in my top 10 or EPs as well. And, you know, in that I could kind of talk about the records a little bit, but I didn't get to go as in-depth. So, you know, that's what this podcast is all about and what it's for. And, you know, hopefully you find some music that you missed last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the beginning of this year, you know, we're waiting for all this stuff. So while we're waiting for new music, this is some pretty new music that, you know, maybe you missed. And uh, starting off on the list on number 10, my 10th fa- my tenth favorite record of uh, 2019, also happens to be my favorite power pop record of 2019, and that is Stephen Bradley's Summer Bliss and Autumn Tears. That one came out on uh, Porterhouse Records back in September, and uh, it is it is really just the best power pop that I've heard in quite some time. And, uh, you know, I mean, power pop, I feel like you can think of a couple different things here when you think of power pop. And this is almost all of it blended together. This is Matthew Sweet. This is Big Star. This is the Beatles. This is the Posies. This is like all the different bands you think of a power pop kind of thrown together. And, you know, I mean, and given given Steven's own twist, too, you know, not that he just straight up sounds like all of them, but you hear all those influences there in there. And it makes for a great record that uh, has, you know, it, it's a little, it's not eclectic where it goes through a bunch of different genres, but I feel like it really explores the power pop genre quite a bit. And uh, I mean, I think it's great because I think you get to see every side of it. And Steve is, uh, I mean, Stephen Bradley is also known as Stephen Kravick, and, uh, or Steve Kravick, I should say. And uh, he, is, he is a very famous multi-platinum producer and uh, if he is not a Grammy winner, he has at least been Grammy nominated. So, I mean, the man has some accolades. He has produced some of the biggest uh, punk rock records, I would say, of easily the last 20, 30 years. Um, I mean, he engineered Blink-182's Cheshire Cat, engineered uh, NoFX's Punk and Drublick. He produced uh, MXPX's Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo and Life in General. 
Um, he produced the Last Seven Seconds record. He's worked with Homegrown, Less Than Jake, um, Pepper. He's worked with, I mean, just just everyone. He he just including in the '90s, like like '90s punk rock. He produced so much of it, and I mean, just an amazing producer. And it's really cool to hear him now on the record. You know, you know, at the front as a frontman. Because for years you hear him as a producer and you hear his takes on, uh, you know, on things. But this is this is him, you know, with these fully realized ideas. You know, it's not it's not him kind of putting his ideas on a song that like my career from MXPX wrote. You know, this is him with his own music. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. And something I would like to talk to him about is, you know, as a producer, I wonder how that is doing your own record. Because, you know, at some point... Like, as a producer, you know, you you do have that side of you where you're trying to make things really work and put them together and you're trying to improve them. But then there's that other side where you can do too much of it. So, you know, when when you're behind the control board for so long and then you go do this, you know, I would would wonder, you know, I'd love to know and hopefully have him on the show soon and, and hopefully talk about this. But, you know, if it if it was difficult to kind of go you know, okay, I need to be a producer, but I also am a musician here too, you know, and kind of kind of juggle that and balance it so you're not spending so much time overproducing or overthinking. You know, I, I just, I think that'd be a very interesting thing. After being such a prominent producer for so long, you know, it's very cool to see him put out a solo record and, uh, I mean, just really, really good stuff. I would say my three favorite songs off of it, these are the ones you should go, you should go check out the whole record but uh, these are the songs to start with. I would go check out Preemptive Strike, which we've played on the Power Chord Hour radio show a couple times now. Uh, Love Tumbles Into Obsession and Calendar Girl. And those are all really, really good, just just great power pop songs, really well written. I mean, Preemptive Strike right away. I mean, the guitar gets you right in the beginning, just a jangly power pop guitar. And it just it sticks with you. I mean, the lyrics are catchy and the melody is great. But just from the get-go, before you hear any any of the of the lyrics, the guitar just grabs you right away. And uh, I think those three songs are a good example of what I was saying, where he kind of explores the genre of power pop. I feel like those are all kind of, you know, Calendar Girl is a little more, you know, a little more up-tempo, a little faster. Love Tumbles Into Obsession is a great album opener and very, very catchy. There's some layers in there on uh, on some of the vocals, some great harmonies. And uh, I mean, on top of that, you know, being being a uh, great producer and working with so many great people definitely uh, works out, too, because, man, Steve has some great guests on this record. I mean, playing on Summer Bliss and Autumn Tears, he had like Kevin Kane from Grapes of Wrath and Northern Pikes. Um, I mean, Wayne Kramer of the MC5, Bobby Adams of Seven Seconds, Mike Carrera from MXPX played on this. Um, a couple members from Social Distortion and Red Cross played a couple songs on here. Um, he's also had, I mean, Danny McGow, who uh, played with uh, Tom Waits and Social Distortion, played on this thing. Um, Richard Lloyd of Television. I mean, the list goes on. And these are all, all play. All these guys played on Steve's record. So, I mean, you know, really, really good company on here. I, I don't think I have to say much more to let you know what you're in for. I mean, just an absolutely great record. And uh, I've been quoted as calling it best power pop record of the year, and I definitely stand by that. So if you want to go check that out, Stephen Bradley's Summer Bliss and Autumn Tears is my 10th favorite record of 2019. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can hear that on Spotify or any of those 
those other places, but you should go check it out on their uh, on Porterhouse Records website because it's really cool. You can stream the whole album on there along with like all the other Porterhouse releases. So go check out PorterhouseRecords.com. Check that out and all the other great music they, that that they've uh, put out. And they've also put out some really rad reissues over the year from like X and All. So really, really cool label to check out. Going in at number nine, my favorite uh, record of 2019, C.J. Ramone with The Holy Spell. That one came out on Fat Records back in May. And his last two records, um, The Holy Spell and American Beauty, I think he's really come into his own. Um, They're not C.J.'s first solo records. He's had a couple before that. But this this is where I think he's really found his sound, where, you know, Okay, there, there's a Ramon influence. It, it definitely sounds like a Ramon's, you know, like a Ramon is playing on this record, and that's a good thing. You know, obviously that's a that's a great thing. You know, if you were in the Ramones, it would be great if your album sounded like the Ramones. I feel like most people feel that way. But what he's done is also gotten his own sound. So you're listening to it, and it has the Ramones, you know, vibe to it. It sounds like a Ramon is playing on it, but it doesn't sound like a rehash. You know, it doesn't sound like he's just ripping himself off or anything like that. It's his own fresh sound, you know, with that Ramon spirit. And it, and it's so cool. Um, this one is not actually on The Holy Spell. This is on his last album, American Beauty. But he did a, a cover of Tom Waits' Pony. And it's a great example of that, of it sounds like it doesn't sound like Tom Waits. And it doesn't sound like the Ramones. But it still has kind of that Ramones-style cover to it. And it sounds like CJ doing his own version. Like if you hear the cover versus the original, it's insane. The difference and how good he made it and like how, how drastically different it is and how he made it his own. It sounds amazing and still has a little bit of that Ramones vibe to it. I mean, it, it's just absolutely amazing what he's done. And uh, on this one, he also did it with There Stands the Glass. It's another cover. And that one is on The Holy Spell, one of my favorite songs, Off the Record. And uh, just a good example of how he's really good at uh, going back – and covering these songs from like the 50s and 60s, um, I talked to him. We interviewed him for American Beauty a few years ago. Still, my favorite interview I've ever done. But I got to talk to him in depth about that Pony cover. I want you know, if if I get a chance to talk to a Ramon about Tom Waits, I'm going to talk to him about Tom Waits. So I mean, we we probably talked about Waits for like 10 minutes. And uh, you know what we were talking about is outside of just Tom Waits, his appreciation for that like those AM Goldie hit Goldies hits. Of like AM radio of like the 60s where like, you know, those songs told a story. And, uh, you know, I mean, like Pony does and like There Stands the Glass does. And you can hear that influence, not just in the covers that he does on these records, but I think they also bleed into a songwriting where he's a really good storyteller. He can really paint a great picture. And it comes from that influence, which isn't so off from, you know, the Ramones themselves. I mean, the Ramones covered uh, Tom Waits. And, uh, you know, I, I think all those guys were into that music as well, you know, the, including the bubblegum pop of like the 50s and whatnot. And C.J. Ramone still has that vibe on this as well. But, you know, I just think his own influences and just his own musicianship and, you know, everything else, I just think it stands on its own. You know, this is, well, it's nothing that you want to shy away from. You're in the Ramones, you know, I mean, I, I think that's something to be proud of and wear on your sleeve but what's cool is that he's also you know stands on his own he is his own musician and uh, i mean and he's had other bands before and after the ramones too that are all really good and some that sound nothing like the ramones and you know so i mean he he's he is his own musician in that sense and i just think these last two records though are really him finding his sound finding finding his in between of this is me 
as as you know if you want to say CJ Ward and CJ Ramon somewhere in the middle there of you know this is this is me as as the musician CJ Ward and this is me as a musician CJ Ramon you know the bass player of the Ramones and I just I just think it's been perfect it's the perfect combination whereas I think his first couple solo records there were good songs on them but I think that was the thing is there were you know you can kind of pick and choose that like you know there there were a couple of really strong tracks on them whereas the last two records have been consistently good front to back and I mean that's that's just such a great thing I'm looking forward to the next one and you know I mean CJ CJ's really carrying the Ramones torch and just really really good stuff so if you did miss the holy spell and you want to check that out one high one low the opener off that great great song to go with you can't go wrong there stands the glass like I mentioned that's a cover of an old 50 song and CJ does just a stellar version of that as well as moving on and uh, moving on is a really really good one that's a that is a good example of his songwriting if you go listen to the lyrics of that one and even just the music and everything it's it's just so perfect Perfect. I mean, CJ has his own sound while still, you know, while still sounding like CJ Ramon. And, uh, you know, I mean, easily the most underrated Ramones uh, member, I would say. When you listen to later Ramones era, like all the songs that he sang on, he did such a good job. Like there's songs that, that Didi wrote, like the Crushers one that, uh, you know, Didi Ramon did originally write the Crusher. And, uh, you know, the Ramones, I, I guess you could say covered it. I mean, Didi wasn't in the band anymore. And CJ sang that one. But Didi also recorded that song later on. Um, and while the Didi version's good, the CJ one, I got to say, is still better. I mean, CJ did Didi's song better than Didi did, which, you know, no disrespect to Didi Ramon, but that's just how good CJ is. And I, I think he's very underrated as a Ramones member, you know, because he wasn't there during, you know, you know, he was an original member. So, and Didi Ramon, too, is such a living legend. It's like, you know, any, anyone who replaces him, you're living in such a big shadow, you know what I mean? So I, I think he gets credit, but not the credit he deserves, and definitely a very underrated member of the Ramones. So definitely go check out his uh, album, The Holy Spell. And, uh, you know, also check out our interview from a few years ago if you missed that. It's on our uh, YouTube page, at Power Chord Radio. And uh, we talked for like a good half hour, 40 minutes, and, uh, I mean, all about the album. And like I said, we talked probably for like 10 minutes about Tom Waits, and it was just very interesting to me because as a fan, it's like that's it's stuff that you don't hear about. You know what I mean? Like no one's really asking a Ramon, you know, they're, they're asking about like punk rock and stuff like that. They're not like, hey, like who are your favorite like bubblegum pop artists of the 50s or what's your favorite Tom Waits record? You know, like people don't go back to some of those influences. But like you have to remember, you know, when the Ramones started, punk rock didn't exist. So, you know, their influences weren't punk rock. You know, the Ramones influence weren't the Ramones. You know, they were they were influenced by, you know, what came before them, which wasn't originally punk rock, you know. So I, I, I do think in the in the interview it was very interesting to kind of pick his brain on uh, some music that he listens to that you may not expect a Ramon to listen to, you know, or you want to connect with. But uh, I mean, he has he has such a diverse uh, taste in music, too, which is really rad that uh, he's a he's a good guy to talk music with. But uh, yeah, CJ Ramon, The Holy Spell, my ninth favorite record of 2019. And, uh, you know, speaking of the Ramones, a band who is very, very influenced by the Ramones is they wear that influence on their sleeve and they wear it well. Um, just such a great band. Number eight is Mean Jeans with Gigantic Psych. That one also came out on Fat Records in uh, August. And last year's album was where I fell in love with them, the Jingles Collection. If you have not heard of this yet, this this thing I think is really 
it it made me discover Mean Jeans, and I feel like a lot of people discovered them through that. It's, it's just a collection of jingles all about, you know, 30, 40 seconds long. I think maybe one of them is like a minute and 30 or something. Like, I think that might be the longest one. But, I mean, just so hilarious. It, it's so funny. But, you know, so my, my exposure to Mean Jeans were those jingles. And as good as they were, I'd never heard their original, you know, or not original songs, but their songs that weren't about Sizzler and Dunkaroos and uh, Coors Light and things like that. So hearing this album was really my first, like, real, real exposure to their music. And, I mean, I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, they, they were just such a rad band. I'd heard the name for years, never checked them out until the jingles. And uh, now I'm happy that I heard their full-length Gigantic Psych because this thing is so good. If you like Ramon's core pop punk, you're not going to go wrong with this one. It is it is just absolutely – it's fun. It's one of those albums that's just short as hell. The songs are like a minute and a half long, two minutes long. They're short, sweet, to the point. There's tongue-in-cheek humor. I mean, the the you know, they're called Mean Jeans. The album's called Gigantic Psych. You know, I mean, there's there's – there's definitely some uh, jokes in there and really, really good ones. I would definitely recommend go check out Party Line. Go check out just a trim Don't Buzz Me All Right. I've played that one on the Power Chord Hour quite a few times now. And also What the Fuck is Up Tonight. That is another really, really good one. I don't know that I've played that one on the radio show yet, but that is uh, one of my favorite songs on the album. And, yeah, I mean, if you just like, you know, catchy pop punk, Ramones core pop punk, whatever you want to call it, you can't go wrong with Mean Jeans. I would definitely recommend going back through their back catalog, too. This is not their first record. They've been a band for, like, 10 years now. So they have a couple full lengths out. And, I mean, just outside of that, you've got to check out those jingles. That jingles collection is amazing. That also came out on Fat Records. And, I mean, it's it's just it's insane how good they are at writing jingles for uh, brands. Just really, really good stuff. I I absolutely love them. Coming in at number seven for my favorite records of uh, 2019, my seventh favorite record was Heart Attack Man with Fake Blood. This one came out on Triple Crown Records in uh, April. And while this is not their first album, I'm sure I'm not the only one who did discover them this year through Fake Blood. This is kind of their breakout record. Um, You know, first one on Triple Crown, I believe. And just really, they're very good at viral marketing. Um, that's, that's one of the, as funny as that sounds to bring up with a band, if you don't know about heart attack, man, I mean, they just have a great social media presence and I I think it really brought attention to them in a good way. You know, a lot of times you can do that and, you know, you can bring attention to yourself online, but if the music doesn't hold up, then, you know, who cares? You know, you have all eyes on you, but there's, you know, there's nothing there to really check out. That's not the case with heart attack, man, though. They, they're really good at getting people's attention, with you know their their online presence and you know just their their imagery their name all that good stuff but the music is good it 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 holds up it holds its own and it's very hard to describe genre wise i mean i could i could be i could i could tell you that they're a pop punk band and i guess in a certain way they are but it's like that's like just one part of them there's also a very heavy element to them and, uh, you know, I mean, influences go all over the place. I would, I'm sure if you ask them, I mean, their influences would probably go from title fight to, you know, Husker do to Slipknot and it, and it shows on the album, but it works well. Like, I mean, this is, this is really a band who I would probably say are as, are as equally influenced by like, you know, Husker do as they are by Slipknot in it, but it works, it works extremely well. 
and uh, you know, really, really good record. Um, the the stuff that they put out before their albums were good, but this is a band who I think. You know, just like I was saying with C.J. Ramon kind of coming to his own this year, I think this is Heart Attack Man really coming into, into their own as musicians and, and songwriters and really just kind of getting their own sound. I mean, like, like it's just so hard to put put a genre on them, which isn't a bad thing that, you know, you can't really pin a genre on them. But uh, they're just kind of their own thing, and they're a force to be reckoned with. It's been a great, you know, 2019 was a great year for them, got a lot of press and attention. And, you know, for a good record, Fake Blood, it is it is really good. My favorite songs on it are Out for Blood, Cut My Losses, and Crisis Actor. I would stick with, uh, or I would check out those three to begin with. And if you like those, I think you'll like the album. It's it's just so good. I mean, it's pop punk with an edge. But even that, that just sounds so cheesy, I guess. You know, sometimes sometimes it's hard to really, you know, describe the sound of a band. And I think this is one of those bands. I just think Heart Attack Man is a band you got to kind of check out for yourself and, uh, you know, check it out and see see what you think for yourself. Just a really, really rad up-and-coming band from uh, Cleveland. And another band from Ohio, not from Cleveland, but uh, down from Dayton. Not guided by voices, but another great Dayton band. But this is The Story Changes. They are my sixth. They put out my sixth favorite record of 2019 with To Hell With This Delicate Equation. That one came out on Magnaphone Records back in April. And uh, I had the pleasure of talking to frontman Mark McMillan. I got to interview him for the record when it came out. And uh, it was not the first time talking to Mark, though. Mark has uh, been a good – he's been a really good dude. He's been a buddy of mine for years now. Um, he's uh, he's not just in the story changes. He is also the guitar player and unclean vocalist of Hawthorne Heights. He's been with them since 2009 or 2010. So, I mean, I've been uh, – I've known him since, like, 2011. I, it was probably, like, the first time I saw him play with Hawthorne Heights. And, uh, I mean, just from talking to him online and talking to him at shows – I've uh, I've gotten to know those guys in Hawthorne fairly well, and they're always good dudes. So I mean, for years I've I've always talked to them before and after shows. We've the 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 first and only time I've had Vietnamese food, and uh, I don't know why I haven't had it again. It was very good, but was with Hawthorne Heights with uh, Mark and the rest of the guys in Hawthorne um, before a show they played with from Autumn to Ashes a couple years back at the Altar Bar, which is no longer there in Pittsburgh. But it was a great, great venue if you uh, have ever been to it in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Altar Bar, I really I miss that place. That was, that was the last show I saw there was uh, with Hawthorne Heights and from Autumn to Ashes. But uh, before the show, we went and got Vietnamese food, and that was the first and last time I've ever had it. But uh, good, good food, and those are good dudes. So, you know, it was a no-brainer to have Mark on when they put out a uh, – when the Story Changes put out their new record – and a really, really good one. I always like the story changes. I think they always put out really good, just alternative rock, basically. And uh, I, I think this album, though, is their best. Um, they, they just finally added a bass player, um, Chris Serafini, who was in the stereo. Very, very underrated, Fueled by Ramen band, um, who put out one of the best records that Fueled by Ramen ever put out called uh, 300 which uh, came out in, I believe, 99. So that, that album is over 20 years old now, which is insane to think. But uh, Chris Serafini was a bass player of the stereo. Now he's in The Story Changes. And The Story Changes has been a two-piece with uh, Mark and Poppy. 
They're a drummer. They've been a two-piece for years now, but now now they're a three-piece. And Chris Chris really adds the album, I think. He sounds he sounds great on the record, as do the rest of the guys at the top of their game. And uh, one of the things I, when I interviewed Mark, what I talked to him about was how good the production is on this record. Um, I think they really stepped up their production game. They self-produced this one, but normally they do work with uh, Jamie Wolford, who is also in the stereo, and uh, he also he does a great job producing them. Not that the other albums don't sound good. But for being for being a self-produced record, this thing sounds amazing, and I, I think it sounds really. They kind of added almost. It's very '90s oriented, and they didn't. You know, it doesn't sound like oh, this is just a nostalgia grab, like they're trying to sound like this through the you know, like this is straight out of the '90s. But it sounds like a band very influenced by '90s bands because they are. You know, I know those dudes. You know, more more on a personal level and talk to them about music. And, uh, yeah, I can tell you, I mean, they, they love, you know, Mark and as well as the rest of the dudes and uh, the story changes and Hawthorne. Like, I mean, they love music from the 90s. You know, a lot of those great rad punk and alternative bands, including the really, you know, the obscure ones people don't really know about. And I think it, it really comes out really well on this record. Um, I, I don't think that they tried to do that. You know, I don't think it was on purpose. Like, hey, let's try to make this sound like it's out of the 90s. But their influences came through and it sounds amazing. And the songs are very anthemic. Um, very, very good sing-along songs, great bridges, really catchy choruses, just great, you know, distorted guitar, just really, really good record, great band. And uh, that one, To Hell With This Delicate Equation, you should go check out Shooting Stars, Golden Age, and uh, Shake. Those are the three, those are my three favorite songs off of it. And uh, right now, I won't play you the whole interview, but if you want to go check it out, it's about 40 minutes long and is on our YouTube page at Power Chord Radio. But uh, right now, I'm going to play you a little bit of, about, of that interview about uh, me and Mark talking about their uh, recording process for To Hell With This Delicate Equation. I want to I want to talk about, you know, the new story changes record and uh I did notice that you ended up building a home studio and self-producing to hell with this delicate equation. I mean, how was it self-producing this? Was this the first time you guys did that for a story changes record? Yeah, um it was it was awesome. It was kind of terrifying at first. <laughs> um but uh essentially I I've been involved in like demoing um the story records for a long time. Like every time we go and do a record, we always kind of record our demos at home beforehand. Um, you know, and even in our earliest days we did this, but it was just kind of like rough four track stuff. Um, and then up to the last couple of things we did, we did more involved demos. Uh, I started building this, like my, my home studio started about a year and a half prior to when we started tracking the record, um, with the intention of just kind of, um, upping my game to demo the Hawthorne Heights record here. So we ended up demoing bad frequencies at my house. And I, I just kind of went on a binge and got some newer gear and kind of updated the space a little bit and, um, and kind of moved everything into a section. A a lot of stuff was kind of scattered around my house and kind of just made like a, a nice space for all that together. And then after we demoed the Hawthorne record, uh, I just loved that whole process of working on the songs here. Um, and, on a side note, I think that's the most prepared we have ever been for a Hawthorne record. Like when we went in to record that record in, in the real studio, um, we booked like close to a month of time. And I think we were done in like 12 days or something. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we were like done so early. Um, so we ended up coming home and had the engineer just apply those days that we had paid for to start mixing the record early. 
Um, so it was cool. It was a nice feeling of being like everyone was prepared and just basically had to go in and already knew what they wanted to do on it, you know? Um, so, um, to tie it all into the question, uh, so when it came time to do the story changes record this time, the hardest part initially about getting, we had the songs and the hardest part about it was kind of, um, figuring out a block of time where I could block off a couple of weeks to go to the studio just because our schedule with Hawthorne Heights is kind of all over the place all the time went about it as like, let's just start demoing the record here with the intention of maybe that'll end up being the record. And at first it was kind of scary, but once we kind of got a, uh, a rhythm for it and like a kind of a workflow, it ended up being awesome. It makes me never want to go to like a big studio again. So fun. I tracked all the guitars in my pajamas. Awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, that seems then you'll keep going down that path. And I mean, I got to give you some uh, compliments here. I did not realize it was self-produced until a couple days ago. I thought that uh, uh-huh. either either Jamie or someone produced it. I think it's one of your best sounding records. So, I Thank mean, that's... Yeah. And I mean, and I, I, you know, like I'll give Jamie Wolford a ton of credit. Jamie Wolford is who uh, mixed the record. And he's also the guy that recorded recorded and produced uh, a lot of the earlier story changes stuff. Um, and he, he did a fantastic job mixing the record. Um, but he knew, he kind of knew exactly what we wanted. And, um, and after working with him so many times over the years, like we kind of had an idea of how to record it in a way that if Jamie got his hands on it, he'd make it sound like a story changes record, you know? So it was cool. Does that, does that like blow your mind that you can do this now? Like in your home, I was talking to, uh, we had Tim from Alistair on here a few months ago, and yeah. they did a lot of the, they just put out a, a best of where they re-recorded a bunch of their old stuff. And he was telling yeah. me the same thing. He's like, yeah, we, we did most of that at home. I'm like, this thing sounds great. Where'd you record it? And he's like, my, my bedroom. It's, yeah, I mean. It's, it's insane. Um, it's amazing that how far the technology's come and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. We did, we recorded drums, um, in a studio. We recorded drums with Micah Carley. He used to play in Hawthorne with me um, in Troy, Ohio, at his studio. Um, just because drums are the one thing with a home studio. It's just really hard to get it kind of right, you know, unless you have like the nice big open room um, with the proper acoustics for it and like a really insanely nice mic collection. But uh, we did the drums there and then did everything else in my house. And then, uh, and the, the beauty of it was just doing it here just allowed for us to take our time and took all the stress away. Like normally when we've had to record a story changes record or, or even a Hawthorne record, there's always just a dead, like a, a deadline, a set time. And it's always, it always usually can't budge because you've, you've rented off the studio for that day and have the recording engineer for that day. And if like, if anything runs behind or gets switched around, then you have to reschedule. And then it puts you back like, they're usually booked up for a couple months at a time and then you're just dealing with like your touring schedules already playing out for six months so it's kind of a it's kind of nerve-wracking because like everything about the process is like you have to book it so far in advance and then you have to make sure you have to have the songs ready by then it's finished and it kind of and in one way it forces your hand to be ready but um this time around with doing it at home we had no deadline at all so we just made the decision that uh for the story changes records we didn't we didn't owe any when we started recording it we weren't signed to anyone it didn't owe anyone a record or anything so it was kind of a nice feeling just to do it at home take our time and the rule the only rule we made was like it's not done till it's done and we'll know when it's done and we essentially just whenever we were home from tour i would just kind of work on it in like spurts of time and um 
just kind of pick up where we left off, which took a long time to get it done. But uh, it was extremely satisfying to to know that um, the end result was something that wasn't like really forced or rushed or anything, you know. And I think you kind of answered this next question. But I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it's the first it's the first the band's first full length since uh, 2013 static and trembling. So it sounds yeah. like, I mean, with that much time in between, did that seem, it sounds like it benefited the band. I mean, like, because I feel like sometimes that can be, you have almost too much time to overthink things, but it sounds like it went the other way and it kind of worked in your favor and you guys had time yeah. to like really work out a more like thorough idea of an album. You know, do you, do you yeah, feel for, that way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the I think another, another part of that too was, you know, Story Changes has been a band for I think about 15 years now. And we, we went, we went so hard the first eight or nine years, um, toward quite a bit. And, um, we're just doing it constantly that, um, like even the first, cause I've been playing with Hawthorne for over nine years now. And even the first few years that I was playing with Hawthorne, like story was still super active. Um, I was just always gone. I get home from Hawthorne. I would immediately, would immediately leave for story changes tour. Um, and I think, I think right around the time after we finished Static and Trembling and that came out, um, I just hit a spot where I was like, I, something has to kind of give a little. I just was so busy with both projects. Um, so it slowed down a little as far as the, the full-length front, but kind of what we found also that benefit us, benefited us is we, we put out a good deal of music in between that record and this record. We just did it in the form of like... Um, we put out a couple of different singles. We put out an EP, uh, the uh, Never in Daydream EP that we did with Little Heart Records, which is cool. Um, and like the Photograph 7-inch, we did that a couple of years ago. So we, we kind of like kind of got our fix for putting stuff out with just focusing on like a few songs at a time. And uh, that was super fun for a while and kind of gave us a chance to breathe. and Because when you do a full-length record, there's just it's just a lot to take on with that many songs. Um, but I think after after you know three or four years of that we kind of got the itch to do a full length again and really kind of ramped it up and started writing this record over the last couple of years right here on the power chord hour podcast that was a little bit of my interview with mark mcmillan of the story changes in hawthorne heights we did that back in july talking about to hell with this delicate equation my uh, sixth favorite record of 2019 and if you liked what you heard there go check out the whole interview it is on our youtube page at power chord radio along with all our other interviews and uh, is also on our soundcloud page just search power chord hour and uh, we got a couple interviews up there we don't have all our interviews on soundcloud but the ones that we do have you can download off there so if you want to go check that out definitely go check that out as well and yeah, to hell with this delicate equation, definitely make sure you check that out as well. Check out the interview and the album. And, uh, you know, check out Shooting Stars, Golden Age, and Shake. Those are my three favorite songs off of it. And uh, you just can't go wrong. Just really, really good 90s-influenced alternative rock. Um, just done really, really damn well. And number five, speaking of alternative rock done well, we got Jimmy Eat World with Surviving, my fifth favorite record of 2019. That one came out on RCA Records, getting the major labels now, um, on RCA back in October. And, I mean, this is just, this album and Integrity Blues, their last one, those are the two strongest records I think they've put out in, I mean, years. 
and easily the two strongest of this decade. And I, I would probably say of the two, Surviving is probably my favorite, this one. The one they put out this year is my – or last year. I keep, It's so weird in the beginning of 2000 – you know, well, any year, not just 2020. But, you know, you always kind of still think in the, in the year prior. But um, last year, I think Jimmy Eat World put out their best record of, of the 2010s with uh, Surviving. And some of the best songs on it, One Mill, All the Way, and Love Never – I love those songs, and I think I think they're really good examples of like that classic Jimmy Eat World. Like it doesn't sound like they went in the studio and it's like, "Hey, let's write Bleed American Part 2. In no way is this Bleed American Part Two, but um, I think they kind of went back to that formula of those big loud rock guitars, you know, catchy hooks. You know, they're just catchy pop rock songs that are just written so well. You know, I mean, they get stuck in your head. And, you know, just just really that just what you've come to expect from Jimmy Eat World from like, you know, the best Jimmy Eat World songs and records. I, I, I think it can all be found on Surviving. But even with that said, I mean, this is how good the band is. There's those songs that sound like classic Jimmy Eat World. And there's ones like 555, which might be even I would probably say the biggest song on the album. I think the music video has definitely gotten some attention to it. It's a neat video. If you haven't checked it out, go go look up 555 on a YouTube, check out that music video. But like, that's a great example. That song does not sound like Jimmy Eat World, but it's a really good song. And it's like, they took chances. It's like this, this album is a good combination of classic Jimmy Eat World, but also a band that, you know, this many years in 20 something years in, um, you know, still taking chances and doing new things. I mean, like, like a good example of that. I mean, you know, surviving, Surviving came out um, 20 years after Clarity because Clarity came out in 1999. So, I mean, 20 years after Clarity, they're putting out some of the best songs and one of the best records of their career. Um, I think that speaks volumes. I think that speaks very highly of where the band's at as, uh, you know, just as a band and as musicians and also just how good that record is. And, you know, I mean, as I'm getting further down my list, obviously, you know, it's a pretty good record to be at a number five. So definitely go check out Jimmy Eat World Surviving if you have not checked that out, if you've missed that one, because it did come out a little later on in the year. Maybe you missed it. And at number four, one earlier from the year was Bob Mould with Sunshine Rock. That one came out on Merge Records back in February. And uh, early on, one of my favorite albums of the year. And, you know, when it when an album comes out in, like, February, you know, I mean, even if, even if it's really good, it's kind of like I'm almost skeptical of saying it's going to be my favorite album of the year, one of my favorites, because you just don't know what's going to come out after that. You know, I, I've had albums come out in that time that I think are amazing where by the end of the year I've kind of you know I hate to say it but I kind of have forgotten about them other albums have replaced them um you know I mean I I listen to so much music for the radio show that you know even music that I do like you know you kind of forget or go by the wayside while you're checking out more stuff so you know sometimes it's harder to have that staying power if your album came out earlier in the year but Sunshine Rock did not have that problem for me I really have not stopped listening to it. There really hasn't been a time where I stopped listening. Um, You know, there's some records where I'll get on a kick um, for a couple months and listen to it, then not listen to it again for a few months, as most people, I think, do, and then go back to it, whereas Sunshine Rock has been pretty consistent. I think songs have stayed in my playlist, um, you know, just of what I've been listening to and, you know, just in life in general, like when I'm working out in my playlist for the show. I mean, I play tons of it on the radio show. And, uh, you know, I've, I've consistently been listening to this record because it's just such a good record. It is such a solid Bob Mould solo record. One of my favorite ones he's done. Um, I mean, it's just solid. You know, I mean, 
it's just rock and roll. It's alternative. It's it's whatever you want to call it. It's just Bob Mould putting out great music after all these decades. I mean, the man's fifty something, and uh, you know he he's still putting out just such amazing music. And I mean, speaking of you know guys you know who are older, you know Porcupine, which uh, features Greg Norton of Husker Du, Bob Bob's uh, old bandmate. He's another one. I mean, he's still putting out good music in his 60s. And, I mean, as far as live goes, I mean, if you know anything about Husker Du, Greg Norton was a monster on stage. That That is a guy to watch. I mean, that dude had energy. Like, if, you, if you're watching videos of Husker Du live, he's the one you're watching. You know what I mean? He's the one moving around. You know, Bob singing and Grant singing and playing guitar. Or, I mean, playing drums, sorry. Um, Bob's playing guitar. But uh, Greg, Greg is the one jumping around and just going nuts. And I've, I've uh, seen him a couple times with Porcupine in Minneapolis. Uh, they play a lot around there. And just absolutely amazing that at 60 years old, that man is still up there jumping around, running around. Like, he is such a blast to still watch. And still putting out such amazing music this far in his career. So, I mean, those to me I love because I feel like, I feel like musicians unfairly – you know, as they go on in their careers, you know, we all fall in love with certain albums. You know, there's always those fan favorites. And, you know, in my eyes, you're lucky if the fan favorite is a couple different albums. Like, you know, a good example of that, like Jimmy Eat World, who I mentioned, you know, Surviving was my uh, fifth favorite album of 2019. They're a good example of that, where if you ask people their favorite Jimmy record, it's normally Clarity or Futures. And sometimes people, uh, I also know people, I have some friends who say Bleed American is their favorite. So it's like, you know, with a band like Jimmy, you can get different answers, you know. And there's bands like Green Day, too, where it's like, I mean, you know, depending on the person's age, someone's going to probably, if you ask them their favorite Green Day album, it's probably going to be Dookie or American Idiot. But it's like they are lucky to to be a band that people have all these different ones. Because there's a lot of bands where people go, they have that one good album, you know, or everyone has that one favorite album. And it's like, you know, it, it kind of defines a band's career. So to me, I think it really shows and speaks volumes if if people can't all agree on one record, you know, if it's all spread out like that, you know, I think that's a really good sign of a of a band because, like I said, I feel like we unfairly we kind of we kind of uh, find them at a certain time. Maybe there's one album that makes a band really big, and that's the sound that everyone wants out of them forever. And you know, everything they do after it kind of can become unappreciated. You know, we don't appreciate it, or you know, it's just well, it's not as good as this. We continue to compare it to their old stuff. So to me, it's always like I love seeing older artists and older bands who are still doing it, who are putting out music that not only is some of the best music coming out of the year, but is also some of the strongest music of their career, you know, this many years in. And, and you know, Bob Mould doing that with Sunshine Rock in my eyes is, is like so great because, I mean, at this point, he doesn't. I mean, he's put out so many records, whether it be Who's Screw Do, whether it be Sugar, whether it be Solo. Like, there's so much Bob Bold music out there that it's like if you never put anything out, there's there's just there's dozens and dozens of records to choose from. But he's still putting out music, and it's still consistently good. So if you want to check out Sunshine Rock, if you missed that one, check out the title track, Sunshine Rock. Check out Sunny Love Song, and uh, check out Send Me a Postcard, really rad cover of Shocking Blue. I actually did not know that one was a cover in the beginning. I'd never heard the original and I forget, I forget even how I stumbled on it. Maybe I was looking up the lyrics to the song on uh, Google and the original one came up, but uh, Bob, Bob did a really, really good cover of that song. I, he, t- he had a really cool take on it to the point where I, I didn't think, 
I didn't think it was a cover. I thought it was an original Bob Mould song. There's nothing about it that made me think this wasn't a song that Bob Mould wrote. So definitely go check out Bob Mould's Sunshine Rock. And now we're getting into my top three records. And these, these to me, the top three are the most important in my top ten. Because kind of at the, at the very top of my top ten, you can kind of move stuff around a lot. And not, not just this one, but to me, thinking of ten favorite records in a year... I feel like, you know, the top the top few are the ones that I don't change around. I go, this is my favorite or this is my second favorite. Whereas, like, you know, you can kind of flip around seven or eight or nine or ten. I'm kind of like, well, I can kind of interchange those a little. But these last three are, in my eyes, the strongest releases of 2019. And uh, a band who had a great 2019, I think, are about to have an even better 2020. I mean, this band is going to blow up. Number three, White Reaper with You Deserve Love. My uh, third favorite record of the year. That one came out on Electra Records back in October. And, I mean, talk about catchy. This band, just, they they can write a hook. They're writing songs that are not going to get out of your head. And it's insane because they they went back, and I, I, I think when you listen to the band, you, you hear the influences quite quickly. And, you know, I don't think they're reinventing the wheel, but what they're doing is they're going back and what they're doing that's smarter is they're doing what other bands aren't doing right now. And they're using, you know, old formulas and influences that I don't think people are really utilizing right now of great old music. I mean, there, there's – I would not call them a glam rock band at all, but there is a glam rock side to them. There's a power pop side to them. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, they're a garage rock band from Kentucky and, you know, kind of with a with a punk edge to them. And, you know, but but like like it, like I'm saying, it's kind of like the replacements, a lot a lot of how the replacements in the 80s were where, you know, they were taking a lot of their old like older influences of bands and music that was not appreciated at the time. And they kind of brought it back to the forefront, you know, not reinventing the wheel as much as going, hey, everyone's kind of forgetting how good this or that is. You know what I mean? I, I think that's what they do on here, like. Like whether it's guitar solos or it's like some of their tones, you know, the lyrics, I mean, the catchiness of it where, you know, they do toe the line. It, it, it sounds at times almost like a pop record, but it is it is a pop record wrote by, you know, a garage band. And it sounds amazing. I mean, the, these songs are amazing. Like every song is like an anthem. You could hear these all in an arena. And, you know, I, I think they're going to blow up. I mean, they're already getting pretty big. Might Be Right plays a lot on uh, commercial radio, which is rad to see them get so much exposure. And, uh, I mean, they just played on Jimmy Kimmel back in December. Um, this year they're opening up for, uh, I mean, Pearl Jam for Motion City Soundtrack and Jimmy Eat World. I mean, they had just Pearl Jam alone. I mean, imagine the size of those shows they'll be playing, um, I believe, over in the United Kingdom. I mean, they're doing that in the U.K. with them. But, uh, yeah, they'll be playing overseas with uh, Pearl Jam and playing here in the States with Motion City Soundtrack and Jimmy Eat World. And, uh, I mean, just absolutely amazing, amazing band. And uh, they do they do have a back catalog you should go check out. But this is the album to start with, You Deserve Love. This is – I know I've said it a couple times for a few other albums on this list of my favorite of the year. But this is a band who – this is the album that I think they kind of came into their own. You know, the stuff before it is good, but this is the band who really just found their sound who really just got it, like, really defined and at a really good place. Like, where I'm excited, it, it's not me. I, I don't look at You Deserve Love going, this is the best album they're ever going to write. I look at this and going, 
oh, like shit, like I'm really excited for whatever they're doing next because this is a this is a really good this is a really good direction they're taking. Like I'm stoked whatever this band plans on doing next. So go check out Saturday, my my absolute favorite song off the record. I think the catchiest one F, which is a, a single you might have heard before and might be right, which uh, is definitely their biggest single, probably their biggest song right now. Good chance you've heard that one. Just so so catchy. I, I, that song's a good example of it. Where the song isn't reinventing the wheel in any way. It's just this classic. Like it's just perfect for like rock radio. It's just it's so catchy. The guitar solo is great. I mean, it's there's a lot of to me to me there's a lot of elements of like early Strokes and the Killers in there as far as alternative goes. And, like, the best elements of those bands, and I, I, I just think, like, Might Be Right is that perfect, like, like radio single, and I think it's really getting them some attention that they deserve. I mean, You Deserve Love, I cannot say enough good stuff about that. Go check out that record. And uh, my second favorite record of 2019 from one of my all-time favorite bands, um, The Menzingers, with uh, Hello Exile. That one came out on Epitaph Records back in September and uh i mean just such a good band they they really never let you down at least they never let me down they've they've not put out an album that i don't like and uh what i will say though about hello exile is and this is actually a good thing i find this with albums i liked it enough when i first heard it the first few times i liked it okay but it took me a while of listening to it more and more and then it clicked and it's like i really really got into it and you know like and it's funny because that can go two ways. When when you listen to an album and it doesn't click right away, it's either never going to click and you just don't like that album, or it ends up becoming one of your favorites. Like I don't I don't think I'm in the minority there. I feel like a lot of people are that way, and this is one of them where it's like, and I'm going to listen to it more because I love the Menzingers, and I mean you know I liked some songs off of it. It's not like I didn't like it, but I was like ah this is okay. And then it's like, so I gave more chances. It's like, well, it's the Menzingers. They're one of my favorite bands. And it didn't hurt when it came out. I was I was uh, hiking up around uh, the north shore of Minnesota, around Lake Superior. And there is not much uh, internet reception up there. So uh, I definitely made sure I threw on a couple albums before I left on my phone. And uh, this was one of them. So I drove tons of back roads with no reception and only a few albums to choose from. So I spent a lot of time with this record. And uh, that's what really made me fall in love once I, I just kept listening and listening to it. And, uh, you know, I mean, finally at clicking. Plus, now I have some cool, like, hiking memories, you know, attached to it already, which which I always I, I love that. I can already tell you I will one day probably be nostalgic thinking thinking back and associating um, hiking, hiking with that record. But just a really, really good uh, uh, record from them. I, I think they... Uh, they're they're good in the sense that they don't rewrite the same record. You know what I mean? Like like it doesn't sound like After the Party. It doesn't sound like Rented World. It doesn't sound like On the Impossible Past. You know, I, I just think they're so good at changing up their sound, but but also knowing what they're good at. They know their strong points and they keep to them, but they're also not afraid to go try different things. And uh, you know, I, I think really cool stuff. Like I think on here, like none of the songs at no point would I say this is like even alt country in any sense, but it's like, there are songs where you can go, okay, that sounds a little bit like Lucero or there's the, there's kind of that like vibe to it. Like one of my favorite songs on the album, I can't stop drinking. I mean, that could be a country song, like an old school country song, like good country, not, not like modern country, but like that singer songwriter 
kind of like, you know, of like the 50s and 60s, like just a really good old country song. Like you can hear it in there, you know, even though even though it's not a country song. And I just think that's such a strong suit of of that band. I think they're another one where I think they're influences because they have they have influences, you know, just like your standard punk band influences. But they also are influenced by a lot of other bands, I think, and artists that that not everyone in their genre is. And I think it really, I think it really helps with their sound. Like I remember, just even little things. Like I, I know, uh, I remember seeing them years ago, and Greg wearing a Lemonhead shirt, a really old one too. Like I think, like Hate Your Friends era uh, Lemonhead shirt. And I mean, there's just influences like that in here, where it's like, you know, I, I think they they have an interesting fan base where the older part of the fan base here's that part where it's like, oh yeah, they like them because you know this band does sound like they listen to the Replacements and the Lemonheads. And uh, Husker Du and the Descendants and all those bands, but it's like they also have a younger side of that crowd who may not know who like the lemons had uh, the lemon heads are outside of like Mrs. Robinson, you know, and things like that. And I, I think they bring those influences into this that you just don't hear from other bands because those band, you know, their contemporaries aren't listening to all those other rad bands, you know. And I think that's the important thing. There's so many bands out there where it's like you know the Menzingers. Are I'm I'm sure influenced by like Bad Religion and No Effects and Alkaline Trio and bands like that, but so are a hundred other punk bands out there. So it's like the thing that I think makes them different is they're influenced by those bands, but they're also influences influenced by you know college rock and alt country and you know that old school country and you know like Big Star and all those things. It's like they they kind of they know their roots. And they, you know, I think they play to that. And I think it's why they're such a strong band and why they just keep getting bigger and bigger, too. I mean, it's insane to watch. They've they've gotten – I've even watched them. I really kind of jumped on with them around, like, around Rented World. Um, and, and really the first time I saw them live was 2015. And, I mean, from there to now, I mean, the rooms that I've seen them in have, have grown. Like, I mean, they keep getting bigger and bigger. And that's just absolutely awesome. Let's go check out the Menzingers' Hello Exile. And uh, the three my three favorite songs off of it are Strangers Forever, Portland, and I Can't Stop Drinking. And uh, I think those songs are really good, too, because they're kind of – they don't all sound the same. They're eclectic. You know, none of none of those three songs sound the same. You kind of get a different vibe from each one and uh, really are just show some of the strong points of uh, Hello Exile. So I would strongly recommend you go check that one out as well as everyone else. Every other album that I've mentioned on here and my number one record, the only other record that came out this year that I liked more than Hello Exile, that would be the Get Up Kids with Problems. And, <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's a lot of bands on this list. They're not new bands, you know, whether it's Jimmy Eat World, whether it's Bob Mould, um, you know, I mean, the Menzingers at this point have been together since like 06. I mean, you know, CJ Ramone, like, you know, all all not super new artists. And what I like about that, like I've been saying, is like the, these older bands and artists who are putting out really, really strong material, some of their strongest material in years. And the Get Up Kids, this is it. This album is so good and uh, like such a turnaround. Like this band... From the beginning of the 2010s to the end, they went from putting out probably their weakest album of their career back in 2011, There Are Rules. Like, I mean, just, you know, it's it's one of those albums where I, I've, I've always said this. If, if it wasn't, if it was under a different name and it wasn't the Get Up Kids, I think people would have liked it more because it's not a bad record by any means. The songs are not bad. They are good songs. But they're not get up kid, you know what I mean? Like they're not get up kid songs that people want to hear. It's it's not it's not the sound of the band that people wanted. And you know, 
I, they've they've turned around so much where they they have a sound now that they I think really make the fans happy, but also make them happy because it's not it's not them rewriting you know the first two Get Up Kids records or anything like that, but it's this nice in the middle you know it's it's them more mature, but it's that band who did write you know Four Minute Mile and something to write home about, but it, you know it's them grown up you know in their late thirties and early forties, and they put out. I mean, this is one of their best records. Not even, the, not even one of their best records in a long time. One of their best records. I mean, I would, I would probably put this up there. Maybe my third favorite Get Up Kids record. I would probably say Something Right Home About is my number one. Um, Four Minute Mile, my second. And I would probably say Problems is my third. I mean, this is really good. This is, this is their best album since Guilt Show, in my opinion. And I mean, this and their EP, the Kicker EP that they put out in 2018, was a good indication and like a good sign of where they were going to be going with uh, problems. And they did not disappoint at all. Um, it really foreshadowed because that EP was really strong. And I highly recommend you go check that out as well. Um, you know, and a lot, the sound is in the vein of uh, problems, you know, very, very similar sound. And just the strongest stuff they've put out in such a long time. And it's just so cool to see. You know, I mean, starting out, you know, obviously they reunited back in, uh, I believe, 09. And, you know, a couple years in, they put out their reunion album. And it just didn't do very well. I don't think fans loved it. You know, um, when they were playing live, James Dewey's was still in My Chemical Romance. So he wasn't, you know, he played on the record, but he wasn't really playing the shows with them. And if you didn't know, I mean, he did play on this record, but he is now out of the band um, once again, they they really have not said why. They just said James Deweese is no longer in the Get Up Kids. So I don't know if it was good or bad. Probably not great, you know. Which is which is too bad. But it's cool to see them still uh, still out there and they're touring off the record in the new year. So you definitely want to go check them out. Um, like the, these songs are so good. I, I've I've yet to I've yet to check them out since the album came out, and I want to hear these songs live. I mean, they're they're really. The energy behind them, these are Get Up Kids songs you want to hear live. Like they're fast, just fast with distorted power chords and just great memorable memorable lyrics. You know, I mean, really, really just they're such an underrated band outside of the first uh, two records. They're kind of like Saves the Day in that sense where they have this really strong catalog that, you know, they, they had such they had such strong beginning beginnings that like you know the first couple records overshadow everything they did after it you know i feel like people kind of overlook them and it, and you know i think people are kind of not doing it so much now i think this record i think a lot of people are like wow that was really good and kind of paying more attention to them again but i think the get up kids as a whole same with just matt Pryor as a songwriter i mean whether it's you know get up kids new amsterdam's his solo stuff you know terrible twos like whatever it is that man can write a song he can write a song. I mean, he always has been able to. It's like it's not like he ever lost it. It's not like, oh man, he stopped knowing how to write a song after you know something to write home about. It's not that at all. And uh, you know, I, I think it's good to see other people give them the credit they deserve. They seem to be doing really well right now as a band, which is rad to see. I mean, I, I love the Get Up Kids. They're one of my favorites. And uh, this this was a good way to end their decade. I mean, I don't think any. If you'd have asked people, if you'd have asked me. I'll use myself as an example. You've asked me in 2011, "Hey, the Get Up Kids are going to put out an album in 2019. Like, how do you think it's going to be?" If I if I was sitting there listening to "There Are Rules," I'd go, "Well, like, eh, oh, I don't know. Like, 
you know, I guess I guess it's cool they're putting something out. Like, I guess I'll check it out. I would never think that, wow, they're going to put out my favorite record of the year. It's going to be one of the best things they put out, you know, in years and just, you know, one of the strongest releases they've ever put out, period. And, you know, and I can't stress that enough. There are rules if you if you have not heard it. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible record. I don't listen to it a ton. It's just, it's not a Get Up Kids record, you know, not in that sense. It's the same thing with the Ataris with Welcome the Night. It's like, if this was under a different name and people weren't going into it expecting an Ataris record, people would love this. And it's the same thing with There Are Rules. If you were going into it not expecting a Get Up Kids record and just a solid, like, indie rock record with, like, you know, like a really, like, fuzzy indie rock record, um, then it's really, really good, but it's not. It's not a. It's not a Get Up Kids record. You know, I don't think you'd go in and go, "Oh, this is what I want from my Get Up Kids records." So, you know, it's cool to see where they went from here. I think fans are happy with the sound. I think the band is happy with the sound, and uh, I, I'm just happy all around. It's cool to see them keep going so strong now after so many years as a band. I mean, they got to be coming up now. I remember going to their 20th anniversary tour back in 2015. So, oh yeah, so they're you know they've been a band now for 25 years. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, do like a 25 year tour this year. They are touring off of the new record. It'll be cool to see if they do like a 25 year tour. They play like you know go back in the catalog and play some really obscure stuff like they did for the 20th anniversary. They they definitely played some songs on that tour that uh, I don't think I ever heard them play before or since then. So uh, very very stoked the Get Up Kids with Problems, my number one record of 2019. And I mean, it really was. 2019 was a very solid year for music. Um, I, I had I had a little bit of uh, difficulty figuring out my top ten, which is a great thing. You know, like I said, I mean, music. There's always more enough music to play for the year end recap. But if I'm trying to think of my top ten favorite, you know, there are some years where it's harder to come up with ten of your favorite records than other years. And uh, this year, it's a good thing, but it, it, it was harder to come up with them. But it's because I had so many, not because I didn't have enough. So, uh, you know, go check those out. I'll give you a little rundown of my list again. Um, My top 10 favorite records of 2019. Number 10, Stephen Bradley with Summer Bliss and Autumn Tears. Number 9, CJ Ramon with The Holy Spell. Number 8, Mean Jeans with Gigantic Psych. Coming in at number 7, Heart Attack Man with Fake Blood. Number 6, The Story Changes with To Hell with This Delicate Equation. Number 5, Jimmy Eat World with Surviving. Number 4, Bob Mould with Sunshine Rock. Number 3, White Reaper with You Deserve Love. Number 2, The Menzingers with Hello Exile. And my number 1 album of 2019 was The Get Up Kids with Problems. Definitely go check out all those albums. You know, you can, none of those are um, super obscure. You can go find those on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all those places you listen to music. Um, definitely go check out all those records. Go support them all. If you had not heard about them yet, let them, let the bands know you heard about them on the Power Chord Hour podcast. And, uh, yeah, I am very excited to get this show going. I mean, like, like this, I just spent an hour talking about 10 records. It's something that I can't always do on the radio show, so I wanted to extend it to the podcast. So uh, I'm very, very happy to do this. It's cool to have a uh, avenue to do something like this. And, uh, you know, still keep the radio show music-centric where we can still play a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, definitely go check out all of those albums. If you liked what you heard from that interview with uh, Mark McMillan of The Story Changes in Hawthorne Heights, you can listen to the rest of that on our YouTube page at PowerCord Radio. It's also on our SoundCloud page. You can download it off there. And uh, we're also online at PowerCord Radio for Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, Spotify, 
We are powercordhour at gmail.com if you want to email me. I want to know your favorite songs or your favorite albums. Sorry, your favorite albums of 2019. Email me, powercordhour at gmail.com. Let me know your top 10 favorite albums or just a few of your favorite records if you uh, can't think of 10. You know, I mean, I know that's like the uh, standard, but, you know, sometimes it is hard to come up with 10. Sometimes it's just easier to do like a top three. So let me know. What what were you listening to in 2019? Favorite albums, favorite songs, all that good stuff. You know, I mean, and I'm I'm sure there's tons of stuff that I missed too. You know, hopefully I I turn you on to some stuff maybe you missed last year. I would love if you turned me on to some stuff that I missed last year so I can, uh, you know, start playing it on the radio show and talking about it. So let me know all about that. Email me and uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be back with our already our third episode and uh, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm going to definitely get some more guests on here and all that, try to keep it fresh. I know without a co-host, I try to, I try to keep things interesting. I feel like when you're doing a podcast solo, you know, sometimes it's hard to uh, keep people's attention. So, uh, you know, hopefully I did not bore you too much with all this uh, music information. Instead, hopefully I enriched your life and made it made it a little better with this information of all this rad music that came out last year. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk your ear off anymore. Now now go listen to all that good stuff I let you know about and uh, tune back in for the uh, next Power Chord Hour podcast. And as always, check out the Power Chord Hour radio show Friday nights at 10 Eastern on 107.9 WRFA. You can stream the website online on a on a WRFALP.com. You can stream the, uh, what, or not the website, you can stream the station on the website so you can listen in real time on there, as well as the WRFA mobile app. You can download that and listen to us on there. And uh, we play tons and tons of music. No music for you tonight on uh, this, mostly on the radio show, so you can go check that out on there. But until the next Power Court Hour podcast, I am Anthony Merchant, and thank you very much for listening.